Amen. It's been a very interesting year as I began over the last week to look back on the different series that God has led us and led me to talk with you about these subjects. We began the year by asking the question, why pray? If, if prayer isn't working, then why waste the time doing it? So we asked the question, why pray? We went back to the purpose and the problems of prayer and the possibilities of prayer. Then we went uh, and we moved forward and we talked about uh, who is Jesus? He said, I am. And, and so we asked the question, who is Jesus? I am the bread of life. Uh, and he said, I, I am the door. All these statements that he made that tell us something about who Jesus is. From there, we went to Sunday school stories, and we took a, a fresh look, a, a modern look at some ancient stories, and then finally, we went to the Forgotten God, where we talked about the Holy Spirit and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to begin a new series today. As we continue to take a fresh look at some historical truths, I want to begin a new series today simply entitled, The Privilege of His Presence. The Privilege of His Presence. Because God's been taking me back to the basics of Christianity, the, the fundamentals, the foundations. And if you've been around a long time and uh, the, the, the sermons this year have bored you, I apologize. I hope that you receive something in spite of me. But I know there's so many of us out here that don't fully grasp and understand everything that, in these subjects that we've talked about. And I want to give you some truth. Because the Bible says you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. But if you don't know the truth, it can't help you. And so I, wanna, I want us to understand and know what the Bible really says to us and promises us. So we're going to be talking about the presence of God. What, what is it? Why do I want to be in it? Why do I want to be near it? How, how do I get there? I, I want to talk to you about worship. What it is that we're doing and why it matters. As we take this journey over the next few weeks, I want to challenge you to seek his presence. I'm reminded of the scripture that David said in Psalm the 27th chapter, verse 4. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. He said, listen, I thought about everything. I thought about the, the fame, I thought about the fortune, I thought about the power, I thought about the business, I thought about all of these things, and this is what I decided. One thing I'm going to give my life to, in spite of my failures, in spite of my mess-ups, in spite of my sin, one thing, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, and if I can get there, everything else will work itself out. If I can get into the presence of God, everything else will work out. So he made this decision this one thing I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's what I'm going to seek. I may not always get there, but I'm going to be seeking it. I may wake up one day and have a few problems, but I'm going to get up the next day and go right back to seeking. And so I, I, I love that about David because I too love the presence of God. I love the presence of God. I love being in the presence of God. I love being around the presence of God. I, I love receiving a touch from God. I love the presence of God. I get there as often as I can. I, I went to a revival service here a, a few weeks ago at another church, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, it was frustrating to me 
Because everyone is having a great time. Everyone is receiving from God. Everyone, they're up there talking about, man, I just feel God so strong here. And you know what? I felt nothing. It wasn't for lack of trying. Man, I was worshiping harder than anybody. I was pressing. I was pushing. And I was feeling almost nothing. You ever been there before? I mean, just, just please God touch me and nothing happened. I walked out of the church Got in my truck, started the truck, backed out of the deal, and as soon as I got onto the highway, boom, the presence of God filled the cab of my vehicle. I was overwhelmed. Everything that I had been praying for and pushing for, that apparently I was doing something wrong in the sanctuary, I have no idea. But when I got in the truck, God touched me. I don't care where it happens. I don't, I don't care if it's in the church or my vehicle or my home. I, I don't care where it is. I just love being in the presence of God. Whatever it takes, I want to be in the presence of God. I love the presence of God. So we're going to talk about this subject, the privilege of his presence. Over the next few weeks, on Labor Day weekend, our bishop will be with us. He'll be as well, continuing in this series as we talk about the presence of God, about worship. In Psalm chapter, in the 100th Psalm, verse 4, He said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. These words here create a picture for us. He is referring to something. He is talking about something. But if we don't know what he's talking about, then we don't fully grasp what he is saying. So the question is, what is he referring to here? He is referring to the gates and the courts of the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David. I want to show you what he's talking about. I'll show you some diagrams of these tabernacles that, and also uh, the temple that will help us see what he's talking about here and understand more about the presence of God. Are you ready to go? Uh, I'm not going to be, uh, you, know, you know, I like to have a lot of fun, tell a lot of funny stories. That's not going to be what today is about. I want to give you some knowledge today, okay? We're going to lay a foundation, so stay with me. Okay, if your neighbor falls asleep, elbow him really hard. Just, if you want to do it without him noticing, you put his, your elbow real close and you hit it like this, and that's how you do it. Here we go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so a couple of you were looking at your neighbor like, you better not even try. There's a tabernacle of Moses. A couple of interesting things to note here, and you're going to find as we look at these three diagrams, they're all pretty similar. They all contain m- most of the same things. You come in here at the bottom. I know you can't read the words, but there's a large box, and then there's this small box right here. There's the gate that comes in right there, and that small box is the brazen altar. You go up to the little small circle, and that's the brazen laver. Uh, this is called the outer courts or the court of the tabernacle here. Okay, this is, this is the outer courts. The only way in is right here through this gate and you get to the outer courts. Right above that small circle, there is another door and you go into the holy place or the inner courts. And in there is the table of showbread, the golden candlestick and the golden altar of incense. Right beyond that is a huge thick veil that we'll come back to and talk about in a minute. And on the other side of that veil is the holy of holies, the most holy place. Held within that is the Ark of the Covenant, the, the thing that holds and represents the manifest presence of God on the earth. This is the tabernacle of Moses. Let's go to the tabernacle of David. Looks almost identical. I know it's kind of hard for you to see. Uh, 
But again, you come in the gate, there's the brazen altar, the outer courts, the laver. Then you go in through another door, the lampstand, the showbread, the holy place. Then there's the golden altar of incense. Then you go through the veil again, the holy of holies. Does it look almost identical to you? All right. Now, after David, Solomon, his son, builds a temple. Incredibly beautiful, ornate. Just, I would have loved to have seen the temple that Solomon built. But after a few years, the temple is torn down uh, by people who had come in and taken over the, the Jerusalem, and then they rebuilt it, what's called the second temple, and we now know it as the Temple Mount. Let's take a look at this. It's very similar, a few more courts, but essentially the same thing. They're just, the outer courts are sectioned off a little more. So you have the court of the Gentiles, so you and I, unless you're in the room today and you're a Jew, you're watching online and you're a Jew, this is as far as we could have gone to the court of Gentiles. The next step was the court of Israel. So all the Israelites could go into the next court. These are still the outer courts. Then there was the court of the men of Israel. So ladies, you couldn't go into this level. This was only for the men of Israel. Okay. And then finally you went into the court of the priests. So only the priests could go here. And then finally you went through the same veil, the same curtain, and you went to the Holy of Holies, which was where only the high priest could go. Now, as we look through these things, you notice... Uh, that there are very uh, a lot of similarities, uh, a lot of the same ingredients. The, the, the names were the same, the Holy of Holies, the, the Most Holy Place, or the Holy Place, the Outer Courts, the Brazen Altar, all these things. Most of them were, were very, very similar. But they also had the same problem in, every, in both of the tabernacles and both of the temples. They all had the same problem. The problem was the veil. The problem was the veil because the veil meant that his presence was exclusive. First point I want to make to you today that at this point, when, when, when the writer is writing in Psalm was his presence was exclusive. You didn't just get in. There was a four inch thick veil dividing from the holy place to the most holy place. And you couldn't just go walking in. You couldn't knock on the door. You couldn't buy your way in. No, no. The only person who could go in was once a year. The high priest would walk in there uh, on the day of atonement. And he would offer sacrifices to God and worship God. Uh, but no one else could go in there. If you went in, you would die instantly. As a matter of fact, the priest... He had bells on the bottom of his robe and they would tie a rope around his ankle because if he went in and he was unprepared and he hadn't done things properly and he hadn't lived right and he hadn't ever done everything right according to the law, if he went in and they heard those bells stop shaking is because he had laid over dead, but they weren't going in there to get him because they would die too. So they tied a rope to pull him out in case something happened. This was serious business here. The problem with all of these temples or tabernacles and the temple was this veil because it made the presence of God exclusive. We couldn't get in if we wanted to. Not one of us in this room could get in, only the high priest. So let's talk a little bit more about this veil. The veil was called the life, it meant separation, concealment, or protection. It separated us from the presence of God. It kept us out. It, it concealed the presence of God from us. This veil was made of three colors. The first color they used was blue. Blue represented heaven. The second color they used was red. 
Red represented earth. The third color was purple. Purple, if you remember back to your science class, is the combination of red and blue, right? So think about this. Blue is heaven. Red is earth. Purple is a combination. So what he's saying is behind this veil is the place where heaven and earth collide. But we're blocked from it. This sounds like a place I want to be. I want to be in a place where heaven meets earth. I want to be in a place where I can access God. But we weren't allowed. Because the other thing that was on this veil was they had cherubims uh, on, on each side, which were like warring angels that they had embroidered according to the word of God. They had embroidered them on this thick veil. These cherubim represented the, the protectors. They were the, they were the things that, uh, that, that kept us out, that kept people out. You remember, it's the same cherubim that God put in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, when he ran Adam and Eve out of the garden. Let's read that verse. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The same cherubim that were here were embroidered onto this veil to say, keep out, you don't get to come in. Because it was exclusive. But let's fast forward to the New Testament now. The tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness is gone. The tabernacle that David built after he went and retrieved the Ark of the Covenant from our enemies is gone. Solomon had built the temple. It had been destroyed. Now it's been rebuilt. It's the days of Jesus. And something amazing happens. Matthew chapter 27 verse 51. Verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple. Now, just to be clear, there's only one veil in the temple. This is the one they're talking about. The purple, the red, the blue, the angels, the whole deal. It's torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. This is amazing because the veil, the thing that separated, that concealed, that kept us out of the presence of God, had now been torn in two. The wall that had blocked us was gone. Everything changed in that moment. But my question is, who tore it? This veil is, is four inches thick, or uh, the Mishnah tells us it's about as thick as the width of a man's hand. Now remember in those days when the Mishnah was written and put together, a man's hands were typically smaller than, than some of us are today. So the average man's hand was only about four inches wide or so. So if you held up your hand like this, uh, it, that's about how thick the veil was. Not how wide, not how tall, how thick it was. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, he writes to us that the veil was so strong that you could tie a horse to either side of it and pull in opposite directions and it wouldn't even tear. This is a serious veil here. This is not your average shower curtain. This is a wall. Who then tore it from top to bottom, as Matthew tells us? Well, the answer is God. Remember, this is the place where heaven and earth collide. So it tore from the top, heaven, to the bottom, earth. It tore from God down to man. Okay? Here's the thing we know. 
Man couldn't tear it because man didn't have the right to tear it. Man didn't tear it apart. Man, man didn't rent the veil because man didn't have the right. The only one who had the right to was God. But here's the beauty of that. Because God tore the veil, now his presence is accessible. The second point I want to make to you today is very simple. His presence is now accessible. So no one can keep you out. Because man didn't tear it, man doesn't have the right to control it. God tore it. So man can't keep you out, and religion can't keep you out, and cherubims can't keep you out, and the enemy can't keep you out. No one can keep you from the presence of God because God tore the veil. And he said, I'm giving access to all. I am opening up access. No one can keep you out. But my question is, what would it have been like for the people gathered around when it tore? It's the ninth hour when it tears, uh, when, the, when the veil is torn. The priests are in there. They are, uh, you know, getting ready for the sacrifices because in the ninth hour on that day, they, they were about to make a sacrifice, so they're doing their thing. They're inside the inner courts there, and there's more in the outer courts. There's probably 200 people or so gathered around. They're doing their deal like they've done the, their whole lives. Okay, put yourself in the shoes of a priest, or maybe you and your buddy are priests, Levites, and you're going through your routine like you've done year after year after year. The veil is on your left, you're at the altar, you're doing your thing, you're washing your hands, you're preparing, you're doing what, what you've done. You're not a high priest, you've never been behind that wall, you've never been allowed to. All you know is, if you, don't go, in, if you go in and you're not right, you're going to die instantaneously, so I'm not even going to go behind that wall. Suddenly, without warning, rip. The veil tears. You freeze. Did you hear something that sounded like a rip? Your buddy says, uh, yes. I, th- I think that was the veil. Your buddy says, don't look. Of course, you know what happens when you say, don't look. You're looking. So, so you glance really fast. Just, you know, like one of those, you know, like as if a glance won't kill you, but a look will. <laughs> So you, you, you look over there, but, but you're afraid to look because your whole life you've heard the stories, you've been taught the Word of God, the, the Scripture, the, the Torah that tells you if you go in there, if you look, if you, if you, if you, if you go through that veil, you're going to die. So you, you need to know what's going on, but at the same time, you don't want to look because you're afraid you might die. So you glance and then you realize, okay, I didn't die. You say to your friend... Um, the veil is torn in two. So slowly you begin to turn. And you gaze for the first time in your entire life. Your whole life has been given to the work of God. To the sacrifices, to the keeping of the temple, to, to all these. This is your whole life, but you've never been allowed there before. And suddenly as you look, the veil is torn. And you have access to a place you've only dreamed about. To a place you've only heard stories about. Whispers. You now have access. What a moment that must have been. Uh, theologians tell us that they, they believe that 
some of the priests that were worshiping there that day because they saw the veil torn from top to bottom and access granted. They then turned and began to believe on the Christ and became a huge part of the church. They believe that they're the ones that even told us in the first place that the veil was torn at that moment because they were there. And it changed everything for them. The presence of God that was held to one room was now released for all to have access to. The presence of God is accessible. That leads us to the final thought for the day. And, and that is this. What precipitated the veil tearing? Why did it tear at that moment? Why not a day later or a year before or a hundred years before? Why did it tear at that moment? In verse 51, you see where the scripture says, Then the veil of the temple was torn. So this says that something happened, then the veil was torn. What happened that caused the veil to be torn? Do you want to know? Verse 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Mark says it like this, and breathed his last. The event that triggered the tearing of the veil was the death of Christ. When he died, access was granted. The veil, it represents his flesh. I want to read you a couple of scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3. Watch what the writer tells us here. He's going to talk about this, this issue. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things we cannot speak in detail. Verse 6. Now in these things... Had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Remember I said the priests were out on the, on, in the inner courts. They're doing the services. Outer courts and inner courts. But into the second part, the high priest went only once uh, alone, once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So they weren't allowed to go in. Only the high priest. Verse 11. But... Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Skip down to verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So here's the deal. Jesus died so you could get in and get the inheritance. Verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Because he did what we did, what he did, we draw near. I want to take you back to the tabernacle of David. 
you'll put my diagram up for me, guys. Tabernacle of David. Tabernacle of David had three doors or gates. That's the, t- the temple. That's the one right there. I know you, I know you can't uh, read this, but I'm going to try to show it to you. Down at the bottom, you'll see an opening in the square. This is the first gate. There's a wall all the way around the tabernacle. You cannot get in any way except for this door. Because of that, they called it the way. First door, the way. You go in through the outer courts, you get ready to go to the inner courts. The second door there that takes you in to where the table of showbread was, the table of showbread represents the word of God or the truth. So this door was called the truth. Third door was the veil that I told you about. If you remember, I gave you, it, it gave you the name of it just a few moments ago. They called it the life. So their whole lives, they knew that there's only one way to get to the presence of God. You've got to go through the way, you've got to go through the truth, and you've got to go through the life. I think some of you know where I'm going. John chapter 14, verse 6. I, this is Jesus, I am the way, the truth, the second door, and the life, the veil. No man can get to the presence of God, can get to the Father, except through me. So so Jesus said, listen, I know you've been going through a different way, but now I am the way. Everything that was the tabernacle of David, everything that was the tabernacle of Moses, everything that was the temple of Solomon, it's really about me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if you want to get to the Father, come through me. It's totally acceptable, accessible. You can have it, but you have to come through me. And when we understand the price that he paid, when we understand that he gave his life for us, we recognize that his presence is a privilege. He said, listen, guys, I am the three doors in the temple. I am that which can give you access to God. I am the collision of heaven and earth. I am 100% God and 100% man. But I am giving my life to be torn and broken and destroyed so that all can get back to the presence of God. So now the veil that had been a barrier now became a gateway. It was a wall. Now it's a gateway. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to him, come on. It's a privilege because Jesus paid the ultimate price for me to have it. He suffered and he died so that I could access the presence of God. But don't believe for a moment. You see, the the accessibility of the presence of God cannot and should not diminish the privilege and the importance of the presence of God in our lives. Just because everybody can go doesn't mean that it's any less important than when only the priest can go. It's a privilege. Our team is coming to get in place now. So with this in mind, we go back to what the psalmist wrote that I read, we began today by reading, and we get a new understanding. When we read this psalm in light of Jesus Christ, we get a new understanding. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. 
Not just a few, not just the Jews, not just the high priest, but all you lands make a joyful shout. Sing and serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord here means worship. Worship with gladness in your heart and come before his what? His presence with singing. You can do it. I can do it. We come in by, why do we begin our service with worship? Because he says, come before his presence with singing. And he said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. When you start walking through the way, come in giving thanks that he did it for you. When you go through the truth and you enter in through the veil, do it with thanksgiving and praise of your heart because of what God has done for us. And finally, he says, for the Lord is good. He didn't even fully realize Jesus was going to do on our side we understand what Jesus did for us we understand that he was our way our truth our life and through him we can come to the father so now we can really say the Lord is good Uh, I want to worship him and thank him for the privilege of his presence that nothing is holding me back from God. He went to the cross. He took my sins. He tore the veil so that I could have the privilege of knowing him and experiencing the presence of God. He did it for me and he did it for you. So we enter with thanksgiving and praise and, and, and worship and singing and a joyful shout and we didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. He did it anyway. He did it anyway. Our team is going to sing a song that reflects these words. As they sing, I want to invite you. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you want to worship. Maybe you want to find a place at the altar. Maybe you want to kneel in your own seat. Whatever it is. But I just want you to allow God to touch you. To come to Him with praise and worship. cross that you have carried. Thank you for the blood of shed. Took the weight of sin upon your shoulders. Sacrifice your life so Yes, Father. 
line now I get to love you in return because it's a privilege I get to do it I get to love him in return because the the thing about Jesus is he went to the cross knowing that I would sin he went to the cross knowing that I would turn away from him that I would reject him that I would fall that I would mess up that that I would get up and then fall again he went to the cross knowing all of those things and yet he went anyway He loved me in spite. He loved me just in case. And he tore the veil so that any moment I could return to him and have free access to get back to God. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you may have messed up or thought about messing up, no matter, he did it for you. He tore the veil and said, come on back.